Hello and welcome to Views from the Market, Mid-Market Private Equity and M&A in Canada. My name is Mario Negro, and I'm a partner in the M&A and Private Equity Group at Steichman Elliott. For today's podcast, I'd like to welcome Sherrit Ross and Michael Levine, co-CEOs of Cardata. Sherrit, Michael, welcome. Thank you for joining us. Thanks, Mario. Thanks for having us. Sherrit, Michael, you have a great story, and I'd like to start by learning a little bit about that story and that history that brought you together to become the owners of Cardata. So I'd love to start by hearing a little bit about yourselves, about your histories, and about how you got to being the owners of Cardata. Sure. I'll start. Sherrit speaking here. So I went to pursue my MBA at Rotman in, I believe, 2017, with really the intent of trying to figure out whether... I wanted to go through the venture capital path or start a business from scratch. And through that discovery, I really, I think, learned through that process that I did not want to have to go through product market fit. At the same time, I was networking in the search community and actually had a friend who had done one and had completed a transaction successfully. So ultimately fell in love with the model. I think it, it really resonated with, you know, trying to find an established business with existing cash flow and leveraged a lot of the experience and commercial experience I had prior. So Michael and I have known each other for 10 plus years and just coincidentally, we were doing the MBAs at the same time. And he comes from more of a finance background. I'll hand it off to him to discuss his background, but it was a perfect pair and on we went. Thanks, Sherrod. So yeah, Sherrod mentioned, I also went to my MBA at Rotman. I originally started my career at Target Canada and then sort of a junior leadership program and wanted to pivot into sort of finance, maybe investment banking, but I spent two years at Rotman, uh, did a lot of accounting and uh, finance courses, uh, spent some time at BDO and then spent some time at Lynx Private Equity and ultimately wanted to sink my teeth into a business that I could put a hundred percent of my effort in. And that's sort of what led me to the search fund model with Sherrod. You know, candidly, I didn't know what a search fund was until I met Sherrod. I just sort of pinged him in my network as someone in my network and said, I want to do something new. Like, what are you working on? And he was working on the search fund. And I think I met you, Mario, a week later and the rest is history. So ultimately we spent just shy of two years searching for our business. And I think we found a diamond in the rough in Cardata. I think ultimately what really attracted us to our business was, and personally, and Sherrod can sort of speak to it, but I think, you know, it was very clear to see where we could add value to this business. I think it was obvious that we were under investing in our technology as well as our sales team and also just a clear and concise go-to-market strategy. I think, you know, it took me three or four reads of the sim and website to figure out what this business did. And that to me was a good indication that like we had to turn this into a bite-sized digestible message and really make this feel like a no-brainer. But I think secondly, you know, I've learned in the process that when you have a compelling ROI and sticky customers, it buys you a lot of time to fix your house or a lot of your sort of underlying, let's call them problems, but opportunities is a better word. So I think we kind of serendipitously walk into a really cool business that I believe truly has a compelling ROI. And, and if you can make it make sense to the right buyer, it's a no brainer and customers that likes doing business with us, which really gave us the flexibility to spend some time thinking through our strategy and investing in places we needed to invest. But that's ultimately how we got to Cardata. So before we jump into discussing Cardata, if I could just talk a little bit about how you found this gem of a company. I mean, times in Canada, we underappreciate how many good companies there are out there that are kind of underappreciated or kind of hiding, uh, you know, hiding sometimes 
in the little caverns where people don't look. And maybe if I can ask you both, because I just think this is such a great company and people sometimes think these companies are, how do you say it, screaming at you, visible, noticeable. But in your case, you really went digging for this company and frankly found a gem. And I wonder, if, just talk a little bit about how you came to find this company, because it was not marketed by the top investment bankers. It wasn't, you know what I mean? It wasn't out there being sold to a thousand people and you were one of them. It was kind of really under the radar, if that's the right way to say it. Yeah. I mean, I think we, through our search, I think we spoke to over 500 business owners through that process. And that was due to a lot of our outbound outreach and just kind of coincidentally, Mike knew the broker on the account with Cardita and they had gone through a few broken deal processes and sent us the package. And to be honest, you know, like I think when you're looking at it from face value, there's, I think there was things that as Mike alluded to, the SIM wasn't overly clear. The website marketing communications on what the business did wasn't overly clear. So it wasn't really, in my view, set up for a sale at that point. And so I think there were some core things that the business required that needed some new operators to come in and support. So I don't know if it looked at that point like a home run, to be honest. And I think there was some heavy lifting required that was pretty obvious. So. I think it's a mix of trying to find the right business profile based on if they've achieved product market fit, which when we looked at the company, as Mike mentioned, right, the, the SIM was confusing, the marketing messaging was confusing, the product required a lot of R&D and investment. However, the customer roster was incredible and customer references were incredible. And so if you really have customers who are, you know, Fortune 500 willing to spend money on a product that looked like the way it did, you really found something special and specifically without a kind of strong go-to-market function. So that was the key aha moment for us, or at least for me, that I, I felt was pretty compelling. Yeah, and if I can add to that, it's a good point, Mario. We never would have found this company through proprietary outreach. It was on LinkedIn in Amherst, New York, as well as it was listed as a management consulting company. So. It just sort of showed you that a, there's a lot of luck needed to be successful in search and being like right place, right time. And as Sherrod said, I knew the broker well, and it was sort of serendipitous. But, you know, if, if it wasn't for sale then by that individual, we likely never would have found it, which is interesting. And I wonder if you could take a minute, tell us a little bit of what Cardata is, like the kind of core business, like what the company does. What's its sweet spot? What's the sweet spot of Cardata? Sure, sure. Just the elevator pitch without getting too technical. The elevator pitch. Yes. Yeah, we're a mileage tracking and reimbursement solution for large enterprises. So really, we help large organizations pay their employees for the use of their personal vehicle. So, you know, you're driving for work, you need to be reimbursed. You want to do it fairly, cost effectively, tax efficiently, and we're there to help these large enterprises do that. You find car data and we're going to get into it, you know, in terms of what you see in it. And I know you've been executing on your plan and your vision for it, but you found car data. Investors were interested. You closed the deal. You've been running it now for a couple of years. I think it is. Would that be right? About a couple of years? Two um, years in February. You Correct. took this small software company and, you know, I've always been impressed by the kind of vision and the strategy that you two have had to kind of take this to a whole other level. So I wonder, without giving up the secret sauce, because I don't want you to give up the secret sauce, but if you could talk a little bit about, you know, what is the growth strategy? What are you focused on? Where do you see the opportunities? Again, without giving up the secret sauce. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of a loaded question because I think there was a lot of little things that we did mixed in with a bunch of luck on the business side that contributed to the early success. You know, the first week when we bought the business, the founder gave us presence of an amazing partnership with a large account. 
that allowed us to grow significantly the first year. And, you know, the founder was pretty honorable not having to come back and try to retreat us based on the news of this deal and, you know, felt like he had got the right number for his exit and wanted to set us up for success. And so he didn't really come back and try to retrade the deal, which was really honorable, as I mentioned. I think the other parts of it really were just cleaning up the marketing and the messaging with how we are communicating to the market. And also just as basic of expanding who we're talking to. When we took over, I think there was about 3,000 companies listed in the CRM. Since that point, we're up to over 20,000, right? I think the founder only isolated outreach to seven states just because of historical success rates. And so I think there was more intentionality that we built into the go-to-market strategy and using data to inform how we allocate resource on, you know, who do we hire? Do we hire account executives who go build a BDR program? Do we go put X dollars into paid ads? And so we're trying to be more thoughtful in, in how we allocate resource. Is M&A a strategy for, I mean, a sector sounds so specific. Is there an M&A strategy for a business like this? I mean, you're probably going to tell me that there's a whole world of these companies out there, which I'm always in awe about, but is there an M&A strategy? And if I can ask, are you out there looking? I'm going to get your sense on terms of m and as a growth strategy. Yeah, I get excited by M&A just given that we went through search and we lived it for two years. It was always exciting and the most fun part of the search component. We've seen some opportunities and I think there will remain opportunities open. We don't have intentionality built into M&A as a growth lever. However, I do feel that there will be opportunities that present themselves that we may need to be optimistic about. So um, I would say yes and no, that if there was the right opportunity at the right time and the right price, we would figure it out, but we're not actively searching. Yeah. And I think to add to that, I think the emphasis right now, just given how the market is, is on the right price. I think the pressure really is on finding a business at the right price or else it very quickly could become diluted. So I would agree with Sharon. We're definitely would love to make an acquisition, but I do think, you know, it has to be a creative for our shareholders. And I don't know if in today's world, you can overpay for an asset, especially in this space. Um, but we certainly would love to make something work. I know you've been heavily focused on growth. You live it, you breathe it, but you've also been focused on growth during this last kind of tumultuous year where, you know, we've got these macro forces, interest rates, inflation. Has any of this affected your plans? Have you had to pivot, adjust? How are you kind of, you know, responding to the macro forces or have you been lucky enough to be able to get around them or make the moves to get around them? On growth side, like we've been fortunate enough to self-fund our growth. And so there wasn't any need to go out to the market for any additional capital to finance our growth. And so we haven't really seen the impact in the capital markets. I would say on the customer side, you know, our solution saves money and get more money into driver's pockets. And so ultimately this business has gone through two recessionary timeframes successfully. And so it's been battle tested and I have confidence this year is going to be another record breaking year for sales. So I don't think it's really dictated our growth plans. However, I think it has influenced our capital uh, allocation strategy. And last year was really about experimenting with different channels of growth and figuring out, you know, what was the most successful and so I think we took on some risk in new channel experiments, which I think this year is more about double, double, you know, double down on the channels that are working. So it's more focus, more intentionality with how we're spending our money. But at the end of the day, things are still kind of chugging along. Yeah, I would agree with Sherrod. I think from like a go-to-market strategy, nothing's 
really changed. I think, you know, the market is rewarding profitability just like growth right now. So we certainly have been, we are pivoting a little bit and we have an internal mandate to be more intentional with our capital, as Sherrod said. And I think it's an important distinction. I think inflation, it is what it is. I think every business has to deal with that. You know, it's allowed us to take some price on our customers due to just some serendipitous contract terms based on CPI. But really, I think the market pivoting to, to rewarding for profitability is, is dictating how we're allocating capital, if that makes sense. You highlighted, Jared, that the focus has really been about growth with your own balance sheet. You haven't really used very much debt. You haven't used any additional capital, but you're kind of getting to critical mass on your growth. I mean, is there a plan to kind of go hard on the, you know, sometimes the companies of your size that get that critical mass to kind of blow it out with capital or debt? Like, are you, given the times we're in, going to keep the current route or are there plans to kind of, to your point, take advantage of the kind of nature of this business right now and how well it's doing to the outside world and use that as leverage to kind of go, whatever you call it, steroid growth or super growth? You know, this year is going to be very profitable over the next 24 months. And I think we intend to reinvest those dollars and allocate those dollars into our growth. So I don't know, like right now we have no plans on any capital raises. Like I think, especially given the capital markets, like we're not looking to go out and take on any cash. However, we have an amazing banking partner relationship in TD and Wells Fargo in the US that has supported our growth and we'll just continue to use the capital of the business. I always ask our guests about, I call it the crystal ball question, you know, what the plans are and what their perspective is on the market going forward. So you're doing an incredible job growing this company. You see the roads ahead. I want to get your perspective from where you sit generally and also with respect to car data. One, where do you see the market going? What do you see on the ground in the trenches trying to grow a business? And then two, what do you see coming forward for car data? We all see the tech layoffs are happening in the market. I think there are tens of thousands of jobs that have been eliminated in the last couple of months, which is pretty scary. I think there's going to be some incredible talent available in the market to find new spots at startups. And, you know, I think there's data to support that whenever there's a recession, new startups are created and really awesome startups are created. So I think this is going to be a period of time of hurt for a lot of people due to some of the layoffs, but also time of just thoughtfulness in new creations and new R&D that happens that will be pretty incredible if we look back 10 years from now. Uh, but for our business, we're still focused on sustainable growth and having that sustainability in mind and building something that's pretty special here. I see a pathway to quadrupling our revenue over the next five years, and that's the pathway that we're taking right now. Yeah, I would agree. I think we are seeing a lot of talent out there. It doesn't feel like our solution is, I mean, Let's say Vernix still out here, but our solution historically has been fairly recession proof. It's a cost saver, I think, to rip us out and use something else would actually add costs to your organization. So I think building kind of a go to market strategy on, you know, not having to lay people off and potentially using tax efficiencies and other savings to offset potentially eliminating people. There's something there that we have to crack the nut on. But this business has proved, has gone through two major recessions and I think it will do very well through a third, but this one feels a little different. I don't know with the layoffs, but we'll have to see what happens. I think the other thing just to comment on is, you know, when COVID started and 
you know, I think the NBA shut down and everyone, all of a sudden the world paused and everyone reacted and we all know what in the next two years thereafter. So I think this one's a little different than that, but I just think that no one has that crystal ball, unfortunately. And my gut tells me that the way we think things are going to go is probably going to go the other way. So I try to just be fluid in how we respond to things and just be mindful of, you know, currency when, what we're operating in. So. I'm going to ask you a wildcard question, if I could. Yeah. I think you have done such an incredible job with Cardata. You've taken this small software company, really professionalized, really focused on growth. If you were to look back now in the last couple of years, what surprised you on this journey that you're like, never thought it was going to be like, I got to ask. <laughs> Just because, you know, I see you guys in this journey and you had I, such a great success, but, but I wonder if there's something in there where you go, oh man, I never planned for that. <laughs> I guess in terms of, I think the business has outperformed our expectations. We didn't have low expectations for it. I just, I personally had question marks on the frothiness of the market because it, like you alluded to, it's so niche and random, but that has vastly exceeded my expectation. I think that's one thing that like we underwrote wrong, but in a good way. I think we figured it was com a compelling ROI and we saw the opportunity, but I think to the extent that it's there has exceeded my expectations personally from like a underwriting perspective. I don't know if that's the answer you're looking for, but at least that, no, just that, has, just, that has been a big surprise for me. I, and then just to answer from my perspective, I think the skills and the mindset required during surge is completely opposite or completely different than what is required to operate and transitioning from a searcher to an operator. You know, it wasn't as like, cut and paste as, as I would have expected, especially with the growth experience. So the biggest lesson is, is just been being prepared to have a different type of mindset when you're operating versus searching when, you know, now we have a team of 70 plus versus when it was me and Mike in a room with a, you know, a bunch of intern sourcing. So it's just a, it's a totally different energy and totally different process and setup that you need to be prepared for. And we've definitely learned a lot in the last two years. Michael shared. I want to thank you for joining us. It's such a great story, you know, finding Cardata, closing the deal, the way you two have really focused on building out this business and making it something special. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for sharing the story. It's super appreciated and good luck for the journey to come. It's a hell of a great story and I hope you ride this wave as long as you possibly humanly can. <laughs> so thank you. Thank you for joining. Thank you, Brad. Thank you, Mario. Pleasure.